0: Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this December 2012 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on genealogy gifts, and I've got some great gift tips, tools, products, and websites for you to help you out. Now, normally, our first stop would be the Genealogy Insider blog with managing editor Diane Haddad. However, Diane is busy with her brand new descendant, her baby daughter, so she won't be joining us this month, but I do want to send out a big congratulations to her and her husband. In this episode, we're going to jump right into our top tip segment, and that'll be with writer Sunny Jane Morton. She's going to be giving us six steps to get your family history book into library stacks, and that's from her new article, Shelf Life which appears in the December 2012 issue of the magazine. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, I'll be chatting with Joshua Taylor. He's from Bright Solid, and he'll be talking about their website, findmypast.com. It's a leader in online British genealogical records. And he's going to even share a story about the gift of family history that one of his customers experienced. Then in the Family Tree University crash course segment, Family Tree Magazine online editor Tyler Moss will be back to give us some tips on creating a family history book, Start to Finish Guidance for Assembling and Printing a Family Keepsake, from the Family Tree University class by the same name. And finally, we'll check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who's going to have some great genealogy gift ideas for us. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is Top Tips with Sunny Jane Morton. We all want to give our research a, a long-lasting legacy. And in the article Shelf Life which appears in the December 2012 issue of the magazine, Sunny Jane Morton gives you six steps to get your family history book into library stacks, which means it gets a longer shelf life, if you will. And here to tell us more about it is the author.
1: Hi, Sunny. Hello, Lisa. It's great to be back on your show.
0: Well, this is such an important topic. It's actually one that I teach on quite often at various conferences, and I think it's an area that has crossed all of our minds, but we haven't always taken steps because we're just not sure how. And yet, if we can learn more about how to get our materials onto more public shelves, if you will, that's a real genealogy gift, isn't it? Because that means it's not just a gift to our family, but it's really a gift to the world and to the future descendants that may not be in our direct family line.
1: You know, it really is a gift to the future and to others who who we don't know who may be interested in the same stories we've discovered. You know, so often we've invested so much time, so much love, so much money in our family history research, but we don't really know how to share our findings any more widely than our immediate circle of family, and they don't always fully appreciate what we do. So this article was so inspiring to me. It's the kind of article I wish I could paste on the forehead of every genealogist out there and say, see what you can do. Because I think sometimes we, we think about writing things down, but then we never finish our writing projects because we're just not really sure what our end goal is. And I think this article lays out a fantastic end goal. Create a book, get it in a library.
0: Exactly. And, and you start off with the first step, which sounds simple, but it, it, there's more to it. It's understand what's in demand. Tell us what you mean by that.
1: You know, it is important to know, like, well, when I say I'm going to donate my family history to a library, what does that mean? Does it mean that I hand them copies of my files, loose papers? I mean, what, what exactly does that mean? So, I talked to several genealogy librarians, and I said, well, what do you want? What do you want for your stacks? And they said, compiled family histories. Now, these are, you know, From time immemorial, these really are the old standards, the books that you pull off a shelf when you get to a family history library that says, you know, The Adams Family of Rochester, New York. It's got a very plain, boring binding, and you open it up, and there's a title page with lots of, and there's chapters on lots of different generations of that family, uh, lots of charts, lots of um, lineages, those kinds of things. Those are called compiled family histories, and we think of them as a little old-fashioned, but they're really still very much in demand.
0: Well, and that brings up an interesting point,
1: because I know um, the Family History Library in
0: Salt Lake City has been talking about that they have a huge collection of uh, family history books, and in many cases, they're digitizing, but they are sometimes letting go of, (laughs) how's that a nice way to say, throwing away the paper copy, Once it's fully digitized and they've made their backups, is
1: the paper copy, is the bound book still a good way to go? You know, for many libraries, it is. I was, I have to say, a little surprised to find out that a lot of genealogy libraries still aren't ready to accept digital copies of our family histories. So print copies still are in demand. Maybe not at the family history library where they've already got, what, is it over 100,000 of them? Let's look. I've got a table. It's a a graph, actually. It kind of stacks up the numbers of copies of family histories that are at different libraries and really the family history library has a hundred thousand of them you could see why they might be doing away with paper copies
0: well yeah the, you know it's real estate space on, on the yeah it really is so limited so they're moving into digital copies but of course it wouldn't be that hard to no. when we're doing a print book to go
1: ahead and make that PDF copy too, right? No, it's not so hard. In fact, I give for those of you who say, well, ah, you know, I know how to type things into my word processing program, but I have no idea how to create a PDF, that kind of thing. I've given you the name of one Example of free software you can download called Cute PDF Writer, and it's it's very quick and easy to download, and it can take go into your word processing program for you into Microsoft Word, and you can automatically save something as a PDF with that software. So if you're uh, I haven't used it in other programs, but if you're a Microsoft Word user, then you've already got a really simple way to create a PDF out of your. Very simple typed manuscript in Word.
0: Yeah, Cute PDF works great, and it really is just kind of creating it as a, a different file, a different file extension and type. Mm-hmm. And boy, that's always good in terms of backup. You can never have too many different types of versions. Um, and I love the sure. I love the chart. Yeah, because the books, <laughs> I thought that was so cute. Yeah, you've got the, the books stacked up representing how many, um, you know, family histories are in each of these. But more importantly, you do have the list of some of the top libraries and archives. So these are really good, um, venues to approach when we're talking about where should I put my book? (laughs) Who should I try to donate it to? Absolutely.
1: Um, And, you know, when you mentioned there's both print and PDF um, possibilities, that opens up a whole new world to all of us who would like to share our work with as wide an audience as possible. But we can't fund a printing of a thousand copies to send to a thousand libraries. So as we can create digital books, then that, that widens our potential audience.
0: Yes. And of course, with print on demand these days, you can literally just get one book, one copy of a book printed if you wanted to. So that brings number two. That was your number two tip. Create a book book worth sharing. And then you get into tip number three, which is consider copyright issues. And that scares a lot of people, too.
1: You know, it does scare a lot of people, but basically copyright protects us even if we never fill out any copyright paperwork. Copyright protects us as soon as we write something. It's considered copyrighted because we wrote it. Now you can through a very simple process filling out a form or two, you can register your book for copyright. And a bonus, if you do choose to register your book, then a copy of it automatically goes into the Library of Congress's local history and genealogy reading room. So really you're going to register your book to show up with the you know, the biggest library in the country.
0: Yeah, that's a great benefit. Because then you know, th- there are a couple of key places, the Family History Library, the mm-hmm. Library of Congress, where people are going to look, if they don't look anywhere else, they're going to check there. And so that's a great place to be. And that brings us to tip number four, find a fitting library. You- you've got right. several listed here. Um, are there cases where we want to go beyond just the really big boys in the library system?
1: I would say absolutely. In fact, we might care more about some of the little libraries. Think about the hours and hours you've spent at these little tiny volunteer-run societies and libraries over the year. Lisa, I bet you could think of a dozen librarians that you got to be on a first-name basis with (laughs) as you were researching and all of the wonderful help and support they offer, all of the resources they find for you. I mean, what a great way to give back any place you have researched is probably going to be interested in a copy of your findings because their holdings are going to be compatible with your topic. So, you know, in my case, it might be, I, I might be writing a, a project on Pennsylvania ancestors and I'm going to donate a copy to Pennsylvania a Genealogical Research Group. I might do one to the County Historical Society. I might call the local public library there and see if they would like a copy. And then I might widen a little more. Well, is there a state Pennsylvania library that collects this kind of material You know, really anything, any place that has a collection compatible with the topic you're writing on is going to be interested, whether it's by geography or ethnicity or just general genealogy.
0: And that's where this book that you've worked so hard on really becomes a legacy and protects your work by making sure it's not lost, because it's one thing to get it all put together, but if it's just sitting on your shelf, it could be lost in a generation. What you're talking about is really making sure that it lasts well beyond and it keeps getting back into the hands of people who want to move the research forward. And that brings us to tip number five, which is, of course, offering your book. Um, you're talking about the various kinds of, of libraries and archives, but who do we talk to? At those places?
1: That's a for? very good question. Okay, now, it, if you want to sell or donate, the keyword here, the buzzword is the acquisitions person. Yes. And it might be if it's a big library, it might be the acquisitions department. So you say I have a book to offer and you could say to, to donate or to sell depending on what your goals are and you say how do, who should I talk to in acquisitions and they'll put you in touch with the right person. Now if you are interested in selling it, make sure you've got a couple of quick points to say to, do, to describe your book to say why the library that you've chosen would want to buy a copy of it. Describe it. It's 180 pages. It's fully indexed. It has a title page. It describe what the binding is, this is the price, and I have an order form, can I put it in the mail to you today or email you a copy of it? So that you can, you know, if you're going to sell something, then do it very professionally. Of course, a lot of us really aren't interested in trying to make a killing off these things. (laughs) We just want to get it out there. And most of the time, we will probably just say, I would like to donate a book and how do i go about doing that uh, whether it's an ebook or whether what kinds of things do you accept and then um and then follow through on that process
0: yeah and that brings us to the final tip which is look for perks and it's nice to hear there there are more perks aren't there potentially than just the fact that we are preserving our research and keeping it out there for generations to come that's a big perk But what are some of the other goodies that might come along with this whole process of
1: donating a book? Okay, well, there's two perks in here that I'm really excited about. And the first is um, the Allen County Public Library for years and years has offered a photocopy exchange program. And I contacted them recently to make sure that was still up and running. And it was when I talked to them a few months ago. So if you send them to Unbound copies, so just printouts of your family history book. They will bind one for their collection, and they will bind the other one and return it to you, which I think is a great bonus. Nice. And if if you're interested in running a few extra copies, um, they might be able to give you a good price on those. And they they'll provide if you provide them with the copies, they may bind those for you for a little extra price, saving you from having to go find another printer. If you just want a few copies. So that's the first perk, and I think it's a marvelous perk. Yeah. And then the second one is something we don't really think about, but maybe we do want to share our book with a wider audience that um, may purchase it. And if that is the case, a lot of libraries, when you donate a copy, they will acknowledge your donation in their next newsletter or publication. Um, Some of them do it automatically, and some of them, if you request it, uh, maybe they will do that. So, for example, the New England Historical Genealogical Society publishes a magazine for its members called American Ancestors. Uh, They have a section called Family Focus that... um, prints notices of recently printed genealogies that have been donated to the library. So really, you can you have the potential when you donate a copy to a larger library, especially if they will advertise it for you, you may be able to find some more takers. So I know I work closely with the Ohio Genealogical Society, and we do the same thing. We will do a, a similar type of a write-up in the Ohio Genealogical Society quarterly. And I bet a lot of other major libraries will do the same thing
0: exactly oh these are all terrific tips and of course in just this short top tip segment we've <clears throat> touched on uh the six as an overview but in the article shelf life which is in that december 2012 issue of family tree magazine you're going to get all the details um she's got some wonderful specific Tips, websites, um things to consider, lots of online resources, this graph, which is a fantastic way of determining who some of the major players are in terms of um archives and libraries to donate your books to, and just a lot more. This one is jam-packed, and I I think this is one of those articles where every single genealogist needs to read it um, because we certainly spend a lifetime investing our, our precious time and our heart and energy into our research. But this is really what brings it out into the future and and keeps it for generations to come. And that's definitely a worthwhile endeavor. Sunny, thank you so much. Terrific article and always a pleasure to have you here on the show.
1: Thank you so much.
0: In today's 101 Best Website segment, we're going to explore the popular findmypast.com website. And here to help us out today is D. Joshua Taylor. He is the lead genealogist at Bright Solid. Welcome, Josh.
2: Oh, thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: Well, now, Bright Solid might not be a name that everybody listening is familiar with, but Find My Past probably is. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the broader Bright? Solid Company and what that includes? And then specifically, what are we going to find at findmypass.com?
2: Absolutely. So Bright Solid is a Scottish-based company. Um, It actually came out of a company called Scotland Online, which was the first company to bring internet service into Scotland. Um, It is a technology company that also delves into online publishing and it actually got its name. It's a really interesting story because there were a group of employees together, and they really liked the fact that they were bright, intelligent, and sort of sharp thinking. And the technology side of it were really, really big on being solid and grounded in technology and, and what they knew. And so the name Bright Solid sort of was born, uh, which is how the company got its name. Interesting. And, I've never
0: heard that story.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's why Bright Solid is Bright Solid. Okay. Um, and there are two sort of divisions to the company. Um, One is Bright Solid Online Publishing, and the other is Bright Solid Online Technologies, and they run data centers and and other services. And so in the online publishing division, we actually use the technologies developed by the other side of of the company to run our web services.
0: And so when you're talking about publishing, sometimes what pops into our head is books, but you're talking about publishing online records as as far as genealogists go, correct?
2: Yes, yes, online record publishing entirely.
0: Wonderful. And so findmypast.com is specifically a place where we're going to find genealogy records. And, and I know that from in the beginning, it was British records, correct? It was actually yes. a different name.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, so, so the Find My Past brand um, started out as like 1837 online. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it grew into Find My Past. And then Bright Solid actually purchased the Find My Past brand. And so it, it is one of the many brands that Bright Solid Online Publishing owns within the family history space.
0: Wonderful. So now I know you have recently been really making a splash here in the U.S. and um, bringing on records beyond the British Isles, but talking about, you know, the U.S. census. Give us an idea of of how broad that spectrum
3: is.
2: It's a very broad spectrum within the U.K. So we actually have offices in Australia, New Zealand. We have offices in Ireland um, in Scotland and, and in England. And of course, now in the U.S., and so our, our record, we really focus on, on U.K. data sets and, and U.K. records um, from a very worldwide perspective.
0: Right, because there are people all over the world who have British ancestors.
2: Exactly, exactly. Wow. I mean, w- one of the most interesting sets that we have um, exclusively on the site is the records of those who were leaving British ports. From mm-hmm. by 1890 to about 1960, and you'll find those records, and it's fascinating because you can then match those up with other arrival records in, in yeah. New York or Philadelphia, and you can see the migration of folks from the U.K., or even those who are just traveling for business or for holidays, you can see that in those records.
0: I have used those myself for my husband's family, and it was really cool to know after I thought I had kind of exhausted the Ellis Island side of things, ooh, there's another, you know, data set, <laughs> fantastic. You know, it just gives you yeah. those extra little nuggets that we're looking for. Um, now, since our theme for this episode is genealogy gifts, and certainly I think family history can truly be a gift that we give our family, can you share some stories maybe perhaps that have come to you from some of your customers, people who found things on the site and kind of shared with you what it really meant to them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, family history is, is one of those, it's a very personal, emotional experience, and so we hear from customers all the time who make incredible finds. Um, we had a customer recently who was just starting out in her, in her genealogy, and her parents were actually born in the UK. And she tried some other sites and hadn't been able to find anything. But because our site is so based in the UK, she was able to find something right away in those departure records. She, you know, she, she found her parents in there. And then used the U.K. census and went back, you know, to 1841 in a matter of minutes. So she sent us a very, very nice email <laughs> where she was you know, just glowing that it was, it was so easy and it was fast. And she didn't think that she would be able to get back that far that quickly.
0: It's a whole different research experience than it was even just 10 years ago. It's amazing.
2: It really is, and especially, I mean, the U.K. census is a set that, you know, I remember having to pull that on microfilm, mm-hmm, yeah. and, and now, I mean, it literally is just, you know, every 10 years, you can pull something up, and of course, in the U.K., they're not missing the 1890 census, so it's easy to go 10 years back.
0: <laughs> Lucky dogs. <laughs> yeah. Gee. Now, one thing that's kind of unique, and I want to touch on this um, before we wrap up, is that you were talking about the speed at which she had accessed some of those records, and there's something else that's kind of unique to the way Find My Past makes records available to customers because we don't necessarily have to sign up for an entire year subscription just to do some of those searches, do we?
2: You don't, and uh, Find My Past has always done a pay-as-you-go option, um, which is basically where you purchase so many credits and then you cash in those credits to see only the records that you really want to view. And that's actually what this customer had done because, you know, not everyone is addicted to family history right away. Right. It, it can take some people some time. And so giving someone a gift of 100 credits, 200 credits can get them quite far in their search, but they're not locked into a full year subscription.
0: And that's kind of a fun idea, that idea of um, you know that there's a record out there that you need to kind of pluck out of the British records. <laughs> <laughs> just get the credits, maybe a more affordable holiday gift, and um, not have to feel like you've got to buy an entire year subscription for somebody in order to give them a chance to go explore.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the 1940 census is is free on the site, you know, that and a couple of credits can probably get you very far.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, the site, as he mentioned, is findmypast.com. Go check it out. You can um, do some exploring. See the—it's amazing to see the the depth of the records, particularly for those with our, our British ancestors. Pretty cool, and uh, who knows? Maybe you will have some things that you can find and create gifts of family history for your family this holiday season. Um, Josh, as always, fun to talk to you. Will I see you in London? And who do you think you are this year?
2: You actually won't this year, won't. <laughs> my first year not going, I know i'm, I'm, I'm we had I'm so sad, much fun but...
0: on that discussion <laughs> panel last year, <laughs> and um but of course, now you're over on the west coast of the u s you're in California, so
2: yeah, yeah, so i am actually doing a society event that day, Mark pass across we'll RootsTech.
0: wonderful at rootstech and and tell folks um any other conferences um on your agenda where people might be able to meet up with you live or also see what what Bright Solid has to offer.
2: We'll be at Who Do You Think You Are live in London, Um, we will be at Brute's Tech, we'll be at the National Geological Society's conference in Las Vegas, we'll be at the Southern California Jamboree, and we'll be at the FGS conference. Um, Oh, and NERC will be at the New England Regional Conference in Manchester, New Hampshire in April.
4: Wonderful.
0: You guys always have a cool booth, so it's a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, and comfortable carpet. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I'm sure I will talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. You're welcome. Well, you've worked hard to uncover your family's history, and you want to preserve your research in a form that's going to stand the test of time. Um, a keepsake book that can be shared today as well as archived for future generations. If you've ever thought such a project was too overwhelming or that you had to complete your research before you could create your book, that simply isn't true. Family history books come in all flavors from collections of family recipes to compilations of oral history interviews. And the class at Family Tree University called Creating a Family History Book, Start to Finish Guidance for Assembling and Printing a Family Keepsake, will show you how to make the process manageable and enjoyable from start to finish. Here to tell us about it and give us some tips from the class is Tyler Moss. He's the online editor at Family Tree Magazine. Hi, Tyler.
4: Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thanks for being here, because I think this is a topic that comes to mind for everybody at some point in their research process. And in particular, you know, I'm thinking that uh, oftentimes we do kind of feel like, well, I've got to be done with my family history research before I can really do a good book. Um, Tell us why that isn't the case
4: you know, that is a common misconception. And I think that isn't the case, because you'd really be surprised at what you'll end up learning in the process and kind of what determining what sort of book you want and and taking the steps to create the book will kind of inspire you to do research that you might not have, you might you might have been waiting on or to collect stories from, you know, living relatives that you might not have collected before. It's kind of a a motivator to maybe do some of the research that you've um, been procrastinating on or just haven't thought of yet.
0: I agree. I think when, when you're going through this process, you start to see some of the gaps that weren't clear until you tried to actually put it into kind of a cohesive story. And yet, um, of course, in today, we can do print-on-demand. We can also do eBooks. So there are ways to publish our book and then add to it later if we get more information. And, of course, one of the great ways to get more information is to get out there and interview and keep talking to those living relatives. Do you have any tips for us from the class about... How to get some good information during some of those interviews?
4: Absolutely. Um, a couple of the tips that we um, kind of advocate in the class are, um, for instance, arrange a specific date and time for your interview. You want you want to give them time to prepare and to think about what they're going to say, and to kind of that way, if they give you an anecdote, it is um, well put together instead of. Meandering or anything like that, and you know some people would rather be interviewed by email or, or or in phone or in person. You kind of want to keep in mind you want to use whatever medium is going to make people most comfortable and so if it requires doing it over email and you know people feel more comfortable typing out their story that 's fine too. And another thing we recommend is if you're interviewing several sources, save the most important person for last. This gives you a chance to gather as much information on that subject as possible and um, pretty much prepare you to ask more incisive questions.
0: So you really get a chance to maximize the time that you have in talking to that person because you've already collected more information, right?
4: Exactly. And maybe by talking to other people first, it'll help you kind of put pieces together to ask the the deeper uh, questions when you arrive on that most important person.
0: Right. Right. Now, we've done our research, we've, we've done some additional interviewing, that type of thing. What are you going to teach us in class? What's, what's the process? And, um, are we really going to be able to have a finished product when we're done?
4: Oh, absolutely. This class goes all the way through preparing your book for print or, um, you know, preparing to, to put it online in an ebook form. We really discuss, you know, From the inception of the book, as far as you know, theme and everything goes, to putting it all together, to you know having having a finished product, and actually where it's where you're gonna put it together and have a yeah have a complete product. So it takes you through the whole process. It's pretty complete. So
0: how how long is the class?
4: The class is four weeks long.
0: Great. So, it, it, you know, in four weeks, is it is it sort of self paced, or are we having to um, stay on our strict schedule?
4: It's pretty self paced because you know, as we give you kind of walk you through these lessons and give you different tips and that sort of thing, it's really just a matter of absorbing the information at that point in time. But really, these tips are things that you can you know expand to whenever you want to to get to it. Obviously, it's going to take you time to arrange the interviews and to collect all the information you need to collect. So you can definitely pace it for yourself, but it's just a matter of kind of. Understanding understanding what the process is. So that way, you, you don't feel any trepidation going forward about you know where you're going with this book.
0: You know, It's a pretty complete outline. You've got things like um, planning and choosing your theme, which is sometimes a really hard thing to do because you tend to want to include everything. <laughs> and I think sometimes if we have that focus of, we're going to cover this, but we're not going to cover this. People underestimate, I think, how much that can help to have decided that right up front so that you don't end up going off in 10 different directions. I know you talk about um, adding photographs and documents, um, filling in the blanks, as you said, and talking additionally to other people and as you're learning more information just through the process and, um, and of course, finally getting that final family history book. Um, I know that you're going to cover what requirements and, and the supplies we're going to need so that when we launch into it, we're not going to find ourselves um, kind of stuck in a place where we don't have everything that we need. It just seems so complete, even down to which digital recorder to use to uh, collect the interviews that we need to create our book. So it's pretty comprehensive. You feel pretty confident that we're going to be able to walk out of there after four weeks of a, of a self-paced class from the comfort of our home, being able to actually have a completed book.
4: Well, that's the idea. And like I said, you know, you may not have a completed book in those four weeks, but you'll have the tools to complete a book. You'll know what planning and interviews need to take place. You'll know how to go about inputting images and documents into your book. You'll have all your research um, complete. You know, you'll know what research pieces, what holes you need to fill in. And then you will have the tools to put together this final product and know what you need to do to establish a final product. And so you'll have all the knowledge you need to put together a entire family history book.
0: Exactly. No more excuses, right? That's right. (laughs) We're going to get it done. Well, the class is called Creating a Family History Book. Start to Finish Guidance for Assembling and Printing a Family Keepsake. It's four weeks long. Again, it's at Family Tree University from the comfort of your own home. And I'll have a link in the show notes for you so that you can check out the upcoming dates um, for the start of the class. Um, okay, well, I think we're all pretty motivated. We need to get some of these books done. Thank you so much, Tyler, for uh, joining us today and telling us a little more about it on the show.
4: Oh, absolutely. Again, thanks for having me.
0: As we wrap up this December 2012 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, we have been talking um, in this December episode all about genealogy gifts. And of course, for our gifts, we want the things that we want the most. And I know that your kit of the month this month is kind of what the editors wanted most. Tell us what your collection is this month that you're offering.
3: Well, that's exactly right, Lisa. For this month's collection, um, we kind of took a step back and said, you know, what are the editor's favorite um, items? That we, you know, we work on so many products every day and we have so many things that, you know, we see come across our desks. We kind of picked a few things that we found most helpful and interesting and put together a collection of products that are all about using genealogy websites. And so we have the Editor's Picks Ultimate Collection Genealogy Websites. It includes a wide range of products uh, of different things that will help you make the most of your online genealogy time.
0: So are these um, kind of a combo like they've been in the past where we've got books and we've got downloads and that kind of thing?
3: Absolutely. So the featured book in the collection is Nancy Henderson's Discover Your Family History Online, and Jackie Musser, who's our book editor, picked that one because she said she found so much information and learned so much about different websites and making the most of them um, from the book that she felt like it was really, really helpful.
0: Wonderful. How fun. Because, you know, you guys really are the ones who are seeing this every day and having to pick through just to get the good stuff into the the magazine itself. And here you've got a great collection of um, tools that, that we can use as well. What are some of the other things we're going to find?
3: Well, um, our City Guides CD, a collection of those of you who are magazine subscribers, will recognize that um, we've been running a series of City Guides in the magazine. while this CD includes all of the city guides that we published in the magazine um, to date, plus ones that we haven 't published yet and it 's um, Diane picked Diane had picked that as her favorite because um, she pointed out some places where she's used the resources, particularly, you know, the websites and databases and things that are mentioned in those city guides to help her in her own ancestry search and some of the cool things that she's found. Um, so that was why she recommended that product. Awesome.
0: It's proven then.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, my pick was the computer boot camp for genealogists class. Um, oh, yeah. And it study, of course. You know, I... Do a lot of multitasking during the day mm-hmm. and um, you know also I'm really busy with work so when I, the, the hours for genealogy are few and far between so you know I really try to be as efficient as possible and there, that class is just full of lots of tricks that I use every day, even though I didn't write the class. It's material that I put to use every day, so I can attest to the fact that it really works. And I think that um, a lot of our listeners and customers would find it helpful, too.
0: Absolutely. And of course, speaking of the listeners, they obviously have lots of favorites and different challenges they're facing. And you've got kind of a cool way for them to get involved and express their preferences. Tell us about what's going on.
3: Absolutely. Well, we, of course, want to know what our customers find valuable, and so we'd like to have a little contest this month. Tell us what you would like us to be working on. Um, Is there a product that you would like us to produce that we don't already, or an article that you'd like to see in the magazine that you haven't seen lately, um, that topic being covered? We would really love your input, and we would invite you to email that to... um, to us, and we will choose one person at random to win a free book, um, a copy of Good Old Days, My Ass by David Fursell. It makes a great gift. It's just a cute (laughs) little humor title. We will certainly also take all of those requests and um, ideas under consideration as we move forward into the new year.
0: Oh, fun. Okay, well, so how do they send you their picks?
3: Okay, Um, to enter, just send us an email to edit at fwmedia.com, and put podcast contest in the subject line, and then write whatever you would like um, in terms of your product input, and be sure to do that by December 31st, and we'll pick a winner in January.
0: All right, before the new year, get your your picks in. This is your chance, really, because uh, truly, I know you guys, you you all get your heads together on a regular basis and you're constantly combing through and and picking out what it is you're going to be focusing on. And and this is everybody's chance to have a say on that. So this sounds terrific. Okay, we're going to have in the show notes for you the email address that she just gave you for the contest. Um, I've got a link to the Editor's Pick Ultimate Collection genealogy websites. And uh, certainly you'll be able to make good use of that. And then... um, Gosh, we're going to be into 2013. I guess we'll be talking to you then.
3: Yes, looking forward to it. Thanks, Allison. Thank you. Thanks
0: so much for joining me for this December 2012 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out Sunny's article in the December 2012 issue of Family Tree magazine. It's called Shelf Life, and that's where you're going to get all the details on those six steps that she gave us for getting your family history book onto library shelves. You can order the paper or the electronic version of that issue at shopfamilytree.com. Next, head on over to FamilyTreeMagazine.com to find the podcast and the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we've covered on today's episode, including FindMyPast.com, and also a link to the Creating a Family Tree book class over at Family Tree University, and of course, everything else that we talked about on today's episode. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, The Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.